Today's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theolophus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, Happy New Year. It's the only one I'm going to give you, okay? I think that's the protocol, just one Happy New Year, then you're done, okay? You've all been greeted. Uh, No, it's great to see everybody. Uh, For those who don't know me, uh, my name's Luke. Uh, Aubrey and I are regular attenders of this gathering, uh, but for not very much longer, because we're going to go to Tonsley. So we have been, Cam has chosen us, uh, and so we're, we're going. <laughs> if this is your first time coming to Colonel Light Gardens, welcome as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it might be a New Year's resolution, and so if you're, if you're already starting out, well done, well done. Uh, I, as Tom says, I've been given the task of opening up a new sermon series on the book of Acts, which has been entitled, uh, To the Ends of the Earth. Now, uh, the book of Acts, written by Luke, not me, but another Luke, uh, is written about the continuing ministry of the Lord Jesus through the mission of the apostles as they begin to tell people and testify to the ministry of Christ. And so we're going to be looking at uh, different snapshots within the book of Acts on this mission. Now, as we get started, I wonder if there are Uh, Any other lovers of detective fiction, crime fiction? Anybody? Yeah? Oh, so comforting, right? Which is a very ironic sort of thing. Uh, It's my literary genre that I go to. I love a good BBC show. Um, And now a big element of all these kind of crime shows, the plot is pretty predictable, or at least the kind of parts of it, which is, you know, they have to, you know, something, a crime's been committed, some sort of event, and they have to gather evidence. Now, one of the big elements of it is finding a witness. Can we find a witness to tell us that can make sense of all of these disparate facts and evidence? 
witnesses testify to the event, and they usually testify of the event to the police or to the jury. They help make sense of what has occurred. Now, uh, witnesses aren't just important for crime fiction. They are also, we, we, they are important for other areas of life. I think that we are actually creatures of witnessing. I think there's something about being human, the idea of telling others what you have experienced. Uh, people who love sports, sports fans are prime examples of good witnesses. Anybody been watching The Ashes? You're going to be telling your kids for decades of what you have seen. Grandparents. Grandparents are good witnesses. They've got the video of the recital that they have to show. I am, I'm, a, I'm not a grandparent, but I'm a father. Uh, and so I'm sure my colleagues at work get tired of all the little pictures and videos of what my kids have done. Social media. Social media is a, you know, it is a medium to witness, usually witness lies right? You ever gone to dinner with people who have to take pictures of their food so they can witness of whatever restaurant they've been to? Aubrey and I got to see the new Bond film and I can't, I can't stop talking about it. We are great witnesses to the events that captivate our hearts and illuminate our imaginations. Because we've been created to witness and to testify The question isn't, will we be a witness? The question is, what are we a witness of? Jesus' disciples experienced a profoundly amazing event. They walked with Jesus in his ministry and in his teaching for three years. They walked with him. They saw him crucified on a Roman cross. And then they witnessed his resurrection. Think about that. What an amazing reality that is. What do you do with an event like that? Well, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples is instructions for the church to live as spirit-empowered witnesses of his ministry. And they are to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. So if you're following along in the outline, and let me invite you to keep your Bibles open as we'll be referring to it. Before he commissions them in their witness, first he's going to empower them. So first is the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts, as I've said already, is it's about Jesus's continuing ministry. And the reason that Jesus's continuing ministry uh, goes on and should be testified to is because of his suffering and resurrection. Jesus' death and his resurrection not only grounds why and what we tell, we as believers should find great comfort and assurance in it. If you look at verses 1 to 3, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There is comfort in the resurrection. Luke opens up the letter by writing to a man named Theophilus. We don't really know who Theophilus was. His name means lover of God. It's possible that he was just an early convert. uh, And Luke is writing both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. 
to give a biography of Jesus, but also to make sense of the growth of the church. So Luke begins in these first verses by summarizing the first letter, the the gospel. He summarizes it. It was all that Jesus did and taught before he ascended. Okay, so this is a, a nutshell summary of the gospel. So if you're new to church, if this is your New Year's resolution or you just haven't been in a while, the gospel means good news. The good news is that because although God created the world good and humanity to be in right relationship with him, humanity has rebelled against him. And because he is a holy God, a holy king, our rebellion deserves judgment and condemnation. But God being a good God and merciful provides a way for reconciliation. He sends the Lord Jesus Christ to die the death that we should have died in order that we might be in right relationship with him. I mean, this is exactly what we just celebrated in communion. And so Luke, as he is reiterating the gospel message, he reminds Theophilus that Jesus suffered, but he didn't just suffer, he also resurrected If you catch that in the first three verses, he presents himself convincingly for 40 days. He continues to teach the disciples about the kingdom of God. So the resurrection, it is comforting and assuring. Luke, uh, we know from the book uh, book of Acts as well, is that he's an associate of the apostle Paul. Makes me think of that great text from 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the importance of the resurrection. And Paul says that the resurrection is so important that if it didn't take place, then we should be pitied because we are still dead in sins and trespasses. We're still alienated to God, from God if the resurrection didn't take place. So I think Luke here is trying to provide that comfort, that assurance. Jesus convincingly showed himself when he rose. Now, the reality of Jesus' resurrection leads to an important question. He rises from the dead. What do we do next? What's next? After all, Jesus' death and his resurrection, it is the focal point of all human history. Sin has been paid for. Reconciliation to the living God is taking place. But what do we do now? This is an important question that the apostles are asking. And so Jesus' answer to this question, what do we do now? And the same question that we have, his, his answer for the apostles is, wait for the Holy Spirit. And so the next point in the outline is the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we look at verses four to five, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives specific instructions. His last instructions, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the disciples have already experienced a type of baptism. So if you recall back to the beginning of the gospel accounts, they encounter a man named John, John the Baptist, who was practicing a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of water. It was a symbolism of being contrite and repentant of your sins. 
But when John encountered Jesus, he knew that there was going to be a difference. He said, I'm baptizing you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So in contrast, so Jesus' baptism isn't one of water, but it's actually being washed in God's purifying spirit. Being washed and transformed. Now this is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. So I'm going to put Ezekiel 36 on the screen. And let me read this text for us. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is amazing. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to completely transform humanity. Humanity is so dead in trespasses and sins that they need a new heart. This promise of the Holy Spirit, it is a new age of redemptive history. God is going to provide the means that we might have life. And in order to do so, God must wash us, cleanse us, and transform us. It is the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit must, we must, must be received, must be given in order for us to live as empowered witnesses to Christ. And so in verses six to eight, we see that the Holy Spirit creates in us as witnesses beyond geographic boundaries. So the promise of being baptized in the Spirit raises in for the disciples, could this be the time for the restoration of Israel? Now that seems like for us a pretty kind of silly question. We're like, how does that work? He just, you know, how does it work that, you know, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden we're talking about the restoration of Israel. Well, it's because in various texts like Ezekiel 36 is that when God gives his spirit, he's restoring to himself a people. His people are being restored and from that restored people, salvation is going. But notice in verse verse 7 and 8 is that Jesus delays that answer. His reply is that the timing of restoration is not for the disciples to know. Actually, that is reserved for the Father. Look at verse 7. He says to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. There are just certain things that, are, that we're not privileged to know. I don't know if you're, uh, are you the sort of person that really needs to know all details about ev- you know, everything that's going on? I'm more of the uh, ignorance is bliss sort of person. I live with somebody who is more on the other end, uh, needs to know all things. Love you. (laughs) There are certain things that are reserved for the Father, which includes the restoration of the kingdom. When will that take place? We don't know. But Jesus actually gives us a positive answer to this Holy Spirit, which is what the Holy Spirit is for. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
The gift of the Holy Spirit is about empowering the apostles to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then finally to the ends of the earth. It's a promise of power. What kind of power? Well, it's a divine power. It's divine enablement. It's the same power that is described that Jesus uses in his miracles. For us, it is the power to accomplish the task that he has given. Friends, isn't it amazing that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit in, the, in this text already has been, not only does it apply the redemption of Christ that we might be forgiven and reconciled, it is also the same spirit given in order to accomplish the task that God has given us. The Lord doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't kind of give you some things and let's see how they do. No, no, no. He actually goes the whole way. So in the church plant for Tonsley in the next coming months, we can trust that God has given us all that we need. If you're, you know, if you're a youth, you know, being a youth, being in school is hard. Being a witness to Christ is hard. And I feel kind of a, a kinship of this, of, uh, of bumbling my way through conversations about the gospel, bumbling my way through being a witness of Christ. But we don't have to fear. We can actually trust that even in the bumbling of being a witness to Christ, that God has given us all that we need. Uh, I don't see Malcolm and Ainsley here. Are you here, Malcolm and Ainsley? No? Okay. Malcolm and Ainsley are getting, they're going to be moving to Chile. And they can trust that God has given them all that they need for the task. They don't even speak the language yet, but yet they have all that they need. They have all that they need in order to be witnesses. The apostles here are to be witnesses. So they have seen and experienced Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. But they're, they are very soon going to experience the cleansing and refining work of the Holy Spirit. And in turn, they are to testify to those events. To give an account of the life-changing power of the gospel. That Christ has forgiven sin and is restoring all things. Isn't it extraordinary? God gives us all that we need. And as, as this book is about the continuing ministry of Christ, he actually entrusts that to others. He provides all that they need, but he entrusts that mission to them. And now the scope of this being, being a witness, of course they're going to need God because the scope of, the, of their witness is far too great. They are to be witnesses of Christ in concentric circles to Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These kind of concentric circles, it's like the CBD, the suburbs of Adelaide, all South Australia, to all Australia, even Canberra. Sorry, I did Melbourne the first service. It was okay. I tried Canberra. Okay, I'll get it. I'll get it sometime. God's the witnessing of the gospel is 
going on a grand tour. It is moving. So God's redemptive work in the Old Testament, though it had its looking outward to the nations, most of the emphasis was on God's own people, that they would believe. With the coming of the Spirit, the gospel goes to the nations. The gift of the Spirit has, uh, we see, is no longer bound by geographic location. It is not bound by religious barriers between Jew and Gentile. It is, what, what we have occurring here is the fulfillment of God's creational purposes. His purpose in creation was that humanity, his image bearers, would fill the entire world in worship and, and to glorify him. The apostles are at the beginning of that, restoring God's creational purposes, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, that the nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. The church has a worldwide mission. Each church has a mission to be rooted in its geographic area, its Jerusalem, but to expand to the ends of the earth. I was, as I was kind of preparing the sermon, uh, you know, as my accent gives way, I'm not from Adelaide. Uh, we feel the distance between our families. And, you know, you look at the map and like, wow, Adelaide's a long way away. I'm not sure if you've considered, but Jesus walked in Jerusalem, you know, walked the streets in Jerusalem, in Judea. And according to Google Maps, that's like 13,066 kilometers. That's a long way away. 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's a long way hopping on a plane. But we, brothers and sisters, we are here worshiping Christ week in, week out. Because the gospel has come to the ends of the earth. We are the ends of the earth. But the ends of the earth is still being complete. According to uh, some recent research, there are 3,126 people groups, which is about 271 million people who are unengaged and unreached with the saving news of Christ. Another statistic is that there are 4,157 people groups, that people who share a common culture and language, 4.3 billion people who are engaged but are unreached. That first statistic, 271 million people, there is no church, no Bible, no Christian. The ends of the earth is still being complete. And so as we continue to think about mission in our own city, which we desperately need, we also must keep our eyes on the horizon of those who have no one to tell them. I praise God for our church and the way our church partners with CMS. CMS is a wonderful mission organization, training and sending I'm so thankful for the Purdy's and from our own congregation that are going. I'm thankful for the many, you know, there are several uh, members of our church, both in the early service and the service, who have been missionaries. Thankful. 
but we also should continue to pray that God would raise more missionaries. So we are to be witnesses beyond geographic boundaries. We are also to be witnesses to the end of the day. So how long does this mission last? Well, until Jesus comes back. So look at verses 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so Jesus gave a promise for his spirit to empower us for mission. And after he gives that instruction, he ascends into the heavens. And while he's ascending, the apostles are staring. They're staring as he goes. And I kind of love this. Two angels show up and then they're, why are you staring up into heaven? I, you know, like if Tom started levitating, I'm going to watch. You know, I think the angels sometimes just don't grasp their own angelic being, you know, when angel shows up to Mary, don't, don't fear. You're like, yeah, I'm going to fear. Yeah, because you're an angel. The angels promise Jesus is going to return in the same way that you just saw him leave. That is, he is going to return bodily and publicly. What is occurring in the ascension? It's actually a really important doctrine. Jesus is ascending to the throne room. He has been victorious in his life, death, and resurrection. He's victorious over sin and death. And he is being received into the throne room to sit on the throne. The throne is not empty. Jesus is sitting on it. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. So the angel's question of why are you staring, they have a promise. I think the promise is don't worry. You don't have to worry about Jesus where he's gone because he is sending his spirit. He is going to return in the same way. He has proven his resurrection and he will prove in his return. And so in light of that promise that he will return, those who are in Christ, who have been granted his spirit, get on with the task of being spirit-empowered witnesses to the ends of the earth. We work until Christ returns. So the ministry of Christ, as we'll see in the book of Acts, is to restore and to bring salvation to people alienated by God, alienated from God by sin. And they are being reconciled through the spirit-empowered witnesses of his people. We should give thanks as we sit here in Adelaide that the gospel has come here. I mean, a, a really good exercise is to think, how did you come to Christ? Who told you? And then who told them? And then who told them? You know, you could think about the way God has providentially cared for us. It's encouraging to see so many in this church support our missionaries, those who are committed to this commission. Committed to the commission to plant churches both here and to the ends of the earth. Now, as we get on, get on with the task of this mission, we need to also keep, mind, 
keep in mind this text, that the Holy Spirit is the one who is given to empower us. It's very easy in our mission to think that we are the ones doing it and the ones accomplishing it and to look at our numbers and to think that we've accomplished it. No, no, no. Remember, God is the one who has empowered us. He is the one who enables it. So to actually give us hearts of thankfulness and humility. Now, uh, for some today, today's message might be quite, you know, a little challenging of thinking about our own role in this mission. Maybe you just need some practical advice of what does it look like to be on mission in my work, in my school? Uh, one of the great news is about Colonel Light Gardens and F. Tonsley is that we actually have a whole mission team. People who are dedicated to training us in this. And so I'd invite you to talk to Matt, uh, talk to Karen and Richard. Lots of practical advice of what does it look like in the Christian life to be on mission. Some of us might actually have been feeling an urge in this mission in a more formal way about church planting, maybe here in our city, maybe to the ends of the earth. Again, we're so blessed to have such a good international uh, agency here with us in CMS. There's a CMS conference, but also talk to, uh, talk to one of the pastors who can help guide, guide you as you're considering these really important questions. So there are some great people to talk to. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about Malcolm, Malcolm and Ainsley. You've got to be careful with Ainsley because she is a one-person recruiting machine. But it's all for the glory of Christ. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that in Christ you are reconciling all things to yourself. That because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, that you sit on the throne unrivaled and that you have given us a task. We are thankful for the Holy Spirit that you have given, not only in our redemption, but also in our enablement to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And God, we pray that you would raise up in our midst more church planters, more gospel workers. That way the glory of Christ may cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so it's for his glory that we pray. Amen.